During the event, we were joined by some amazing guests, including Dave Schuler, superintendent of D214, Shatera Weaver of VL Education, and Lydia Logan of IBM, who all shared the important work they're doing in this space. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and be sure to register for our next town hall at gettingsmart.com slash townhalls. Welcome, everyone, to the Pathways Town Hall. We are the new Pathways Town Hall. We are so excited that you're here. Thank you for joining us today. Before we start, we just want to go over some housekeeping rules. We really, really want your input. We want you to share generously and respectfully throughout the session. So in the chat, please feel free to share resources and ideas. It is just a time for us to really come together as a community and share what our thoughts are just around Pathways. Um, you can also share out generously on Twitter. If you use the hashtag GSTownHall in your tags, we would welcome all the support. And we want everyone who was not able to join us today to still feel like they're part of the conversation. We will post a recap blog with the links mentioned on the event after the event. And we'll also include a brief FAQ for the questions that we don't have time for and we know we'll have a ton. And so just so you don't feel like you need to keep up with all of the links that are being shared with chat, please feel free to access them during the recap. So we want your input. We want you to share generously and respectfully, and then you'll get all of the follow-up information after the event. All right, so let's get started. A Getting Smart Town Hall. Some of you all may have joined us before, and if you're coming back, thank you. And so for some, it may be the very first town hall that you've ever attended for Getting Smart. So the purpose of our town hall is just to create a space to just think collaboratively and to design and discuss and really discover what's next in learning, which is what we've all been tasked to think about throughout our educational journey. Our time together is to really build a collective momentum and understanding. We want to better enable you all to empower every learner to thrive and act with purpose. We want this to be your time, your space. We want it to really motivate you to go back and implement some of these thoughts and to continue to share and think about what's next. So let's get started for new pathways and where every learner is on a personalized path to opportunity. And as in GS tradition, we start every event that we do with a poem and today is no exception today we will feature Rilke which um and the poem is um I don't know the name of it but it's okay uh we will feature Rilke and it says I believe in all that has never yet been spoken I want to be free what waits within me so that what no one has dared to wish for may for once bring clear without my contriving if this is arrogant, God, forgive me, but this is what I need to say. May what I do flow from me like a river, no forcing and no holding back the way it is with children. Then in the swelling and ebbing currents, these deepening tides moving out, returning, I will sing as no one ever has, streaming through widening channels into the open sea. Tom, I know this is like your absolute favorite poem and you'll have the title. 
if you can just share that with us and then just share your thoughts and why this poem is so apropos for the conversation that we're having today. Yeah, thanks, Shoni. Um, yeah, this is not only probably my favorite poem, it's it's my favorite pathway uh, poem. It's a great, I think it's a great poem for high school because it's all about um, identity formation and, uh, and a discovery that for Roca, he probably wrote this when he was around 20, in a time of real turmoil about 115 years ago that he wrote it in Germany um, in a time that probably feels pretty relevant uh, to what we're we're living through today. And it's really, um, it's in a book uh, that came in English to be titled uh, the, the Book of Hours or um, Love Poems to God. It was translated by Joanna Macy and um, Anita Barrows and um, Shawnee, they they just use, they, these are without titles. So the it's usually referred to by the first line, I believe in all that has never yet been spoken. Um, I, I, this is really to me like a, um, a prayer for calling and a prayer for um, impact of wanting to discover gifts and talents and put them to use in ways um, not yet fully imagined. And I, I love the audacity in this, in this prayer. And, and it always makes me chuckle that he has to apologize for that audacity in the, in the third stanza. Um, and then I love the, the nature elements um, at the end. Those of us that live on the Puget Sound sort of love um, the title elements, but uh, I really appreciate his, his um, desire to free what waits within him so that what no one has dared wish for may spring clear without my contriving. Um, really a beautiful aspiration for uh, the discussion that we're going to have today about inviting every learner to find, even, even co-create um, a pathway of opportunity for themselves. Anybody yeah, else appreciate this um, Roka poem? And if you do, please feel free to unmute and share your thoughts. We want this to be a really open forum. We'll take one or two comments. Yeah, thanks, Eric. It does, it's reminiscent of a number of uh, Mary Oliver poems. Yeah. And Tom, isn't this what you are, we want everyone to do with these new pathways is to think boldly and apologize later? Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. Um, and, and to step into opportunity with, with that um, sense of openness. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful, uh, thank you, Scott. Yeah. So as you all continue to ponder this and think about how it connects to pathways <laughs> and to think about what it is that you need to say and what it is the students need to hear, please continue to drop your thoughts into the comments um, as we continue throughout the presentation. Tom, I'll turn it over to you to talk about this soft launch of the new Pathways campaign. <laughs> I was mentioning uh, Dr. Scott McLeod has joined us and he said, he loves the line, um, may, may what I do flow from me like a river. And what an awesome expression that is of, of what in our high school hopes are for young people. Absolutely. Um, today we're, um, we're launching uh, our, our uh, Pathways campaign. 
Um, if you've joined us for other town halls, you know we've been um, preparing for this for a number of months. Um, we uh, last town hall we talked about unbundling and rebundling learning, and um, since then we've decided to add that to this pathways campaign and uh, and to run a two or three year campaign that uh, really takes on these. Uh, core themes around new pathways. And by pathways, we're talking about learning experiences really from middle school um, to and through post-secondary into gainful employment um, and, and being trying to be particularly mindful of entrepreneurial uh, opportunities um, and emerging pathways into um, high-wage uh, employment and, and entrepreneurship. So our themes are really um, unbundled learning. Uh, we want to explore the explosion of learning opportunities that's happened in the last few years um, and how to make sense of that in particular um, through guidance and support. Um, we're going to talk about that uh, with our friends from uh, EL Education today how we can help learners uh, credential their learning along the way so that they can capture and communicate their new capabilities um, in new ways. We'll talk about new learning models um, for secondary schools and beyond, uh, how they can be more engaging uh, and supportive and accelerated. Um, and then finally, we'll talk about taking that to scale um, of how to build networks and systems that uh, help every learner find a pathway to success. Anything else you want to add to that, Shawnee, before I introduce uh, one of our guests? No, I think we're ready to get started. We'll be talking about a lot today and learning a lot. So before we get into the guests, just want to, again, remind everyone as we're sharing today, please continue to drop your comments and resources into the chat. Let me just acknowledge that um, Shawnee and I met when she was leading current technical education in Kansas City. Um, we had a lot of late night and early morning uh, bus rides visiting schools and uh, Shawnee and I have been talking about new pathways that unlock opportunity for all learners for, uh, for a lot of years. And we're really thrilled that she's uh, an important part of our team, so. Yeah, I love being here. And we're joined by some of our Kansas City friends from CAPS and Kansas City Public Schools and Ray Peck. So super excited to continue the work. Um, the folks in, in Ray Peck and uh, certainly CAPS and the CAPS Network have been real inspirations for this work. So thanks, Greg, for being here. Um, I want to dive right in um, by inviting uh, Dr. David Schuler from uh, Township High School District number 214, just north of uh, O'Hare Airport in Illinois. I've had the chance to work with Dave um, as a commissioner for the Superintendents Association Learning 2025 um, Commission. And uh, I, I get, I've known Dave for a number of years, but um, our, our, our more intensive uh, work together over uh, the last year on that commission um, just really impressed me that uh, that Dr. Schuler and and D two fourteen are um, might be the best example in America of a district really committed 
to making sure that every learner is on a, a valuable pathway. Um, David, um, thanks so much for joining us and tell us why you did that, how you did that. Uh, give us a quick overview of how this works in, uh, in D214. Yeah, thanks, Tom. And I think, you know, the why we did it goes back to the poem, right? Our job is to create personalized pathways of choice for every child to get them to realize dreams that they didn't even have when they walked through our schoolhouse doors as freshmen, right? And our kids can only dream what they can see. And so in the north corners of my district or the south corners of my district, where I have multiple families living in a one-bedroom apartment or a manufactured house um, on the south side, it's our job as educators to plant dreams in, their, in the student and their family's minds because they know that their job is to make enough money to, to pay rent so they can stay there and take advantage of these great schools that we have. And so it became incumbent upon us as a system to really rethink and redesign our approach to allow students to be co-authors of their journey um, to ensure that we've built out pathways. And I'll show a couple of those and how we build out our pathways in a second. Um, but just for some context, we have 11,000 students in our district. We're only a high school district. So we have seven high schools and every student in our district will experience a, an external work-based learning experience before they graduate. And that's not designed to, to indicate just what students do wanna do, but also what they don't wanna do and, and provide them with access and opportunities. And so all of our students identify a career area of interest by the end of their freshman year. We have on-ramps and off-ramps, so if students change their mind, that's awesome. Um, but if they change their mind more than twice, it's going to kick a red flag to the school counselors so that they can engage in some more career exploration work with them. So let me share my screen, and I'll just kind of share um, with colleagues um, on the call how we built this workout. And so I firmly believe that it is schools that have the opportunity to change lives and, and change school communities for the better uh, or the worse. And I was at a site visit earlier this week visiting a school and there was an architect there who said there's no neutral spaces. And that really, really hit me as far as how we had to be really intentional about designing our learning spaces. So we completely re-envisioned re our programs of study. We no longer have any class that is not on a pathway. We eliminated all singleton classes. Everything in our district is on a pathway and must lead to a post-secondary credential or early college credit. And so part of the reason why we did this, Tom, what you talked about, is we have to be thinking through the lens of ensuring that our graduates are able to access an upwardly economically mobile life for themselves and their families in a world that's changing so fast that we don't even know what jobs are going to exist in the next five years. I mean, think about this, right? I, hopefully all, everybody on the call can agree that the world is transforming at a pace faster than it ever has in the world's history. And yet it's the slowest it will ever transform in the future of our lives. And so we have to redesign what our educational systems look like to ensure that students have that opportunity. If you think about this statistic, in 1940, a child born into the average American household had a 92% chance of making more money than his or her parents. For students born in 1980, so today's 36-year-olds, that figure dropped to 50%. We have to produce graduates that can access an upwardly economically mobile world. 
So we know work-based learning experiences have tons of benefits. Just a few are on this page, and I'm happy, Shani, to share the deck with uh, with you to send out to anybody on, on this call. Um, but for us, it was about this. Opportunity for discovery, empowering self-efficacy, and igniting momentum. Yet, friends, I'm all about action-oriented work. I don't want to talk about future thinking and future focus. I want to be future-driven, right? I want us to act on making the change that we want the world to be. And so for our career pathways model, here are the three tenets, sequence of courses beyond high school, work-based learning experience, and a capstone early college or industry credential. Dave, that slide just makes me want to cheer. Yeah, that's awesome. It's so simple. It's so powerful. It's awesome. Thank you. So here's how we develop our pathways. Ideation is first. We always, and you guys, those of you that are in school settings right now, the last two years have been really hard on all of us, and we've been doing a lot of managing. I am hereby giving you all permission to take time out of your day to dream and ideate because it's the only way the positive change is going to happen. And it's so easy to get sucked into the day-to-day management, my friends, and that is not going to transform our future. Give yourself permission and your team's permission to ideate and dream. So once we ideate and we have an idea and we have just Again, for context, we've built out over the years, we have 44 personalized pathways of choice in the 16 national career clusters. So everything from aviation to to HVAC, finance, legal services, you name it, there's a personalized pathway of choice for every student. So once we have the idea, we then form an advisory team of experts, we create the research and evaluation, and then we develop the pathway and then we look at implementation and funding. So it's one, two, three, four, five. And part of that ideation and form advisory team, one and two, ask your local employers what skills they need employees to have and build from there. So we just have a huge data center coming into our community. And I went to the mayor. We have seven communities and villages that feed into our district. So I went to that village's mayor and I said, you tell me what kind of computer skills and technical skills and what industry credentials you need your your employees to have. And I will build your talent pipeline around those skills. And so that's a different approach than saying we're going to teach what our teachers think are the right things to teach. No, if we're creating talent pipelines, build what our employers need for us to be able to produce graduates that can enter the workforce. Then research and evaluation, pathway development, implementation funding. So for us over the years, and again, this didn't happen overnight, but we now have 1,500 industry partners. Um, We're adjacent to O'Hare, so we do have some large industrial parks. but it's, it's absolutely critical for us to be able to produce people that can then work for in those settings. So a pathway sequence, how do we develop that pathway? <clears throat> we identify potential courses, develop the new course proposals, share the draft uh, course sequence with our stakeholders, which will include those industry partners. And then everything has to have extensions. So summer opportunities, co-curricular experiences, field trips, What are the bridges between secondary and post-secondary? I really want to gray that line. Every student in our district, every student in our district, unless they have significant, significant special education needs, graduates with a minimum of six early college credits. Uh, Over 80% of last year's graduates graduated with over 15 early college credits. Engaging in curriculum development, 
providing the teacher PD, sending them out wherever they need to go to see the workplaces um, when possible. Data centers obviously don't allow people in. Um, and then partnering with industry for potential workplace learning experiences and opportunities. <clears throat> and when you're thinking about that, never think about um, one experience. So I hate the term job shadow, you guys. I mean, really, you want someone to stand in someone's shadow and just walk behind them? No, I want it to be about learning, right? So if somebody provides an opportunity for somebody, for a student to come and see what happens, that's awesome. I want that to be positive. <clears throat> Sorry. But then I want next year, that opportunity to be a 30-hour micro internship. And so you have to, once you find a partner, you have to look for ways to scale that partnership to provide more and more opportunities. <clears throat> so what does that mean? And what does that look like for our kids? We've completely reimagined how our student course um, signup looks like. So instead of listing everything by disciplines, remember all the words we used to have when we were looking to pick courses for next year, and it was designed, art was first, and it was all alphabetical, science, social studies. We've gotten rid of all of that. <clears throat> Our Academic Programs and Pathways Guidebook takes a look at identifying what are the career pathways that you want to explore, your personalized pathway of choice, and then what does that look like from what courses you must take and you should take and elective opportunities you might have. And then, oops, why is this not working? So here's an example of our multimedia, what it would look like for freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. So you can see as freshmen, we talk about orientation classes, sophomores and juniors, we're talking about skill development. And then that senior year, really talking about capstones. So you could start with introduction to multimedia communication. <clears throat> it's a semester long course. You could then take advanced or the following year, you could go to multimedia, up through media, multimedia storytelling advanced multimedia storytelling, then senior year, you have a bunch of options. You can take some dual credit classes if that's of interest to you. You can do a practicum, or you can be part of the Multimedia Academy, which is a college intro to mass communication. And then you can see those post-secondary options. In addition, we also have an opportunity for youth apprenticeships. And so if you haven't explored the possibility of registered youth apprenticeships, I strongly encourage you to do so. At least I know we have some international folks joining us, but in the U.S., um, it's a wonderful opportunity from the Department of Labor. And if you're struggling with finding external partners, be your own employer. So we've gone through the process of being our own registered employer. So we have students, we'll have um, we'll have. 27 next year, we have 18 this year that have registered apprenticeships and everything from HVAC to cybersecurity to technology. And, um, and we just had one in, uh, in multimedia. So it's just an example of what kind of that pathway could look like. Let me go back just for a second. Um, here we go. The career pathways. So the, the guidebook that I talked about. So here's an example of what it looks like. You can see if you want to go into health sciences, Right. We have every one of them starts with a picture. Then you can see in that lower left hand column, we have a recent graduate who has a story and a quote of what they got out of the being part of the health sciences pathway. And then you can see ninth, 10th and 11th grade, the different subject areas, English. And I'm happy to share a QR code if anybody would like to see the details of how we built this out. Um, and then you can see after 12th grade, we also list post-secondary experiences, opportunities, jobs you might be able to pursue. Um, and then if you look down at the course descriptions, we have a list of all the different courses, but it's not all words, right? We put graphics in there too, because we want to appeal to our students and our families to spend time looking at it. So we have an overall 
booklet, but then we also have it just by career pathways. So you could pull out the health science section and just look at that, or you could pull out finance and just look at that. Um, and so I mentioned our orientation, skill development, capstone, partnerships, employment, and higher ed. So for us, the way we built this is we've created a, career, a center for career discovery. We didn't take extra dollars for this. We reimagined the use of our Perkins dollars and we branded it. I brand everything in District 214 because I think just think it goes so much further if you have an, a name and a brand for it. Um, and so you notice I'm, I haven't been talking about CTE. Right. I'm talking about personalized pathways of choice for every student. And sometimes when we talk about CTE, everybody gets pictures in their head that it's CTE over here and the core over here. Right. The reality is it all has to turn meld together and it has to be whatever that student wants to do after high school. So you'll never hear me talk about CTE. Right. I just said we reimagine the use of our Perkins dollars. Right. To create the Center for Career Discovery. And they're the ones that are really um, uh, tasked with finding industry partners, making sure students have great opportunities, um, and that our industry partners are thanked and appreciated for providing that value add back to them. And I know I'm running short on time, Tom, give me just two more minutes. Um, here are just some of the services um, that we provide that Career Discovery owns, Career Days and Nights. Zoom is wonderful. Facebook Live is great for getting to parents and grandparents. Um, and then internships, and again, I'll share this with you. Um, for us, a work-based learning experience has to be a minimum of 30 hours. Um, that's how we define it in our district. Here are some of our embedded internships. These are things that happen within our school day that people can take advantage of. If you, if you don't have a grow your own teacher program, start one now. It's the only way we're gonna have enough teachers. And the only way we're gonna find a more diverse teaching staff is if we grow our own. Youth apprenticeships, just what that looks like, 1,200 hours at an employer on the job training. These are the uh, types of apprenticeships we offer in our district, <clears throat> from vet tech up to athletic training assistant. And I am happy to answer any questions. And I talked super fast. I'm super passionate about this. We have to embark on this work as a country. And I know people that are outside the country, you should do it too, because it's it's inspiring to kids. It's engaging. They love it. And it provides a huge value add to them, their families, and the businesses with whom they're interacting. So thanks, Tom. And sorry, I went a little bit over. That was super awesome. Um, two quick questions. One is, um, there was a question of how porous this is for students and can and do students change pathways. And then a related question is, how do you make sure the pathways stay you know, really relevant and dynamic and connected to what's happening in industry. That's awesome. So first answer, yes, you are not, you're not focused on a pathway for your entire career. That's why the first courses are all orientation. So if you take an orientation course and you're not happy with that, then we want you to take a different orientation and different pathway instead of being stuck in a pathway in which you know you don't want to pursue. So absolutely, you can take different orientation courses and different pathways based on your interest. The second question I already forgot, Tom, but I had an answer for that too. Um, oh, keeping pathways dynamic. Oh, yep, dynamic. So every year we have we go back out and have an advisory team meeting with industry folks to make sure our content and our curriculum is, is um, uh, relevant to their work. So that happens annually. There were a lot of requests in the chat for your uh, guidebooks. So we'll make sure we include links to resources uh, from Dr. Schuler and D214. 
Dave, I, I want to just close by saying there, there are times in history when people do work at a local level that just is of greater importance. And it feels like the work you're doing there is, is a, a national model um, for relevance and uh, uh, the, the idea of putting kids on pathway to opportunity. So we really appreciate your, your local and uh, national leadership. Thanks so much, Sean. I appreciate it. They've also started Transio, which is a terrific app to help manage uh, work-based learning opportunities. We'll also include links to that. Thank you, Dave. Great, thank um, you. I, I wanna shift gears and introduce Shatira Weaver. Um, she, the second part of our Pathways campaign is really around supporting learners and, um, and providing high quality guidance. Um, that happens in most high schools in uh, in an advisory system. And the very best example of that is from our friends at, uh, at EL Education, eleducation.org. They produced about a year and a half ago um, a, a terrific set of resources called We Are Crew and uh, published both a book and a, a beautiful set of online resources. I just uh, dropped a link to that in chat. Um, it, it's a, an extraordinary library of resources for how to do advisory um, well. It's in addition to being a terrific way to help every learner be intentional about their pathway. It's the best example of creating a culture of mutuality uh, and mutual support. Um, Shatira, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us about Crew. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and thank you for dropping that link from EL. That is something I was going to base our discussion in, um, naming that we are crew. So that is our structure with EL education that is alike advisory, but, um, you know, speaking from my bias, a little better, I'd say, um, a little deeper and more connected, really creating that crew. So the tagline or phrase we use with students and staff is that we are crew, not passengers. And the idea is that we are on this ship together. Each of us are responsible and as vital as one another, having uh, various strengths and challenges and really working together to create that crew. And so those groups are started um, at the very start of the school year. Very often schools will hold off on content and really start to develop and deepening that crew structure first. Um, the largest crew is about 16 students. Ideal is about 10 because you're working to create a family, an intimate space within the school day where you're able to, as I would put it, just be. Um, I think students have to have their student hat on all day, whether they're being mathematicians or scientists or writers in one room or another. And crew really allows them to be themselves, their whole selves, um, and bring those academic strengths and challenges with them. But then also the personal, the social uh, things that are a part of human beings, not just students. And so... To me, the best part of crew is the idea that every student in the building 
has a deeper connection with at least one adult. And so I'm hailing from New York City, where we have very large schools um, and hustling, bustling streets surrounding those schools. And it's very easy to go into the classroom, walk into a school building and kind of fly under the radar throughout the day. And that can be a good with your like a very high achieving student or a lower achieving student when it comes to grades. And I'll put grades in quotes. That's a separate conversation. But crew does not allow any student to fly under the radar. Someone in that building knows you, knows your family, speaks to your family, communicates openly, um, sets goals with you, checks in on those goals. And of course, classroom teachers are continuing to do that in their content spaces, but crew really provides the dedicated space for students to do that work with one another, collaborate with their peers, learn about themselves, become self-aware, and then of course, turn key that self-awareness into a more community-based awareness and um, all hands on deck is really what we would call it when we're talking about crew. It is my favorite part of the EL model EL has tons of core practices from, you know, delivering effective lessons to fostering a cohesive school vision, teaching in and through the arts, all very important core practices in having a successful and sustainable school model. Uh, But my, again, speaking from bias, my favorite is building the culture and structure of crew. And it is named that way purposefully. It is not just a structure, but it is building the culture of crew. Every student should walk into that building and have what I refer to as a home place. That comes from Bell Hooks, my personal hero, who describes a home place as a safe haven where, again, you can be yourself, take off the armor, take off the student hat or the athlete hat if you're on a team or whatever it is and just be yourself with the people in the room. Um, And so that is the power of crew. I'll add to that by naming uh, something that we're leaning towards is having what is called courageous conversations about race, about sexuality, about all all the taboos, all the things that us adults have trouble talking about. But honestly, students are like, oh, you wanna chat? Let's do it. Um, And so crew helps set the stage for that. In a classroom like social studies, where it is very important to discuss those topics, absolutely, because it is social studies, if we don't have that base of trust, of the ability to be vulnerable with one another, to say that thing that might um, come off a little different to someone else's perspective and understanding one another, you're not going to have the success with those conversations that you aim to. It is not to say don't have the conversations. It is just to say that having the structure of crew really does provide um, the cushioning necessary for people to feel safer to engage in those conversations. They're called courageous for a reason and it does require that and crew helps to embolden every participant's um, positioning in that in that space. So I'm open to take any questions. I do not have a, a slide deck for you, but I could talk all day about crew, how it differs from advisory um, and EL education. So Chatira, this is uh, typically in in the uh, 100 plus EL schools around the country, this um, typically meets every morning. Yeah. It's the beginning of the day at, a, at an EL school. 
Um, so it, it's a structure that uniquely creates a sense of belonging and attachment for every EL learner, right? Absolutely. This is my home place. This is where I belong. And if I don't feel that belonging in the math classroom, speaking for myself, um, I still feel it in this school, in this building. And it's really important to transfer that. It is not always in the beginning of the day. The structure is planned that way. But again, the best part of crew is catering it to the people in the room of that crew. So some schools have it right after lunch because that school has discovered that that's the best time to sit and decompress with your family, your school family. Um, you know, half the day has gone by, you've eaten, and now let's settle for crew and get back to the second half of the day. So morning is where it started, but I will always encourage schools and districts to really do what's best for them. Because again, that would be the point. So I, I love crew because it, it does a, a lot of different jobs for EL high schools. It creates belonging and attachment. Mm -hmm. It sets the cultural tone. It creates this uniquely strong sense of mutuality. I've never seen another high school where you have this sense of collective success. Most high schools right. are about individual success. At EL high schools, it's about collective success. That's a, a beautiful thing. You also do um, career and college um, mm -hmm. awareness and, and preparation inside of CREW. Is that fair? Yes. Uh, CREW is the space where all of the things that schools want to do in content classes can happen in a more focused space. Um, and very more often a safer space. So we're talking about college and career prep, which is a very difficult topic. And especially again in New York City with diverse, diverse experiences with that. Um, and being able to do that with your crew only is, is a better means to the end. So it is still those same goals that I would say most schools have, which is high achieving students who are career and college ready, um, but being able to get there uh, in a deeper, more intimate fashion. Mark uh, Lang said, it sounds a lot like a big picture advisory. <laughs> Mark, that's true. Uh, both the L and big picture use their uh, advisory periods also to uh, help identify and manage uh, work-based learning opportunities. Um, so it is a multi-purpose central hub to every EL school. Is that fair, Shatira? Yes, it is the lifeblood of our school is how we would put it. Um, it uh, also the structure through which students do their own conferences. So student-led conferences is a structure that comes from CREW in which students are able to talk about their own learning, uh, their own progress and their own challenges, rather than a teacher and a guardian having a conversation about someone who is very rarely even in the room for those conferences. Um, but CREW really sets the place where students can take charge of their own learning and to reiterate what you were saying of each other's learning because it is a crew uh, and discuss in a more apt fashion more confident fashion i love that um my team is going to add a link to a podcast that we did with ron berger um, a year and a half ago right when the resources came out um, if you haven't checked out crew please please check out the links that we've shared it's an extraordinary set of resources by the book but check out the videos. They're terrific as well. We're working on, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go. 
I was just going to say we're working on our next project that works in tandem with the We Are Crew initiative, um, which is crew curriculum. One of the things we're finding with crews that is like the best thing that schools have ever adopted and they love it. And then teachers are like, yeah, but this wasn't in my teacher prep program. Y'all taught me how to teach science. (laughs) Um, And so now we are developing curriculum to go along with crew so that those discussions that I mentioned earlier can happen in a structured fashion and all teachers can feel apt to facilitate those things. That is super awesome. I I would say that most schools that do advisory often leave it to chance and (laughs) you know some advisory systems are really good and some are uh, some classes are are haphazard so I think adding more structure and more support for teachers um, is really terrific. Thank you. I know you're in the middle of a busy teaching day. We super appreciate you dropping in and talking about crew. You're awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Truly my pleasure. All right. We're going to jump to my friend, Lydia Logan. Um, Lydia, I saw you somewhere like a couple weeks ago. Is it at, at in Tennessee at AASA maybe? Uh, South by. At South by, I saw you um, last week in Austin. Um, and I, I hadn't realized that you had moved over to IBM. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, Lydia um, ran Chiefs for Change, a terrific group uh, supporting um, reform and innovation-minded state chiefs as well as system heads. And she has joined the, uh, the awesome team at IBM. Um, we have featured IBM as a real pathway leader on our podcast, our team will drop a link to um, uh, some chances we've had to feature their work. Um, Lydia, why did you join IBM and what, uh, what are you excited about in terms of their support for Pathways? Well, IBM has been in this Pathways space for over 10 years with PTEC. So mm-hmm. I know a lot of you are aware of the PTEC model. It's an early college high school model. It's bit ahead of its time and that it was an open source idea where the state adopts the model and the funds become available. It's a partnership between industry, a school district, and higher ed so that students have work-based learning. So we, we talked a little bit about that already today. They have the connection to employers and mentors And then they earn college credits while they're in high school and ideally finish the program with an AA degree. We've been doing that for 10 years. There are over 300 P-TECH schools around the world now, not just in the US. Many of those, IBM is the industry partner, but or uh, one of many industry partners working with a school. And there are other models where they're collective groups that where IBM is not part of it. So that's really taken root and grown, which is fantastic. But IBM is also looking forward to this idea of what we call new collar jobs. So what are the jobs that are have family sustaining wages in the tech industry that don't require a degree? And how do we make those more accessible to people in the US and around the world by providing them access to free training and content tied to credentials? Um, And it's really an economic opportunity initiative for us, which is global. Last year, our CEO pledged to skill 30 million people by 2030. And so we're we're hard at work on that. We do that in partnership with school districts and with higher ed institutions and nonprofit 
organizations around the world as well as ministries of education. Skillsbuild.org, um, someone can drop that in the chat. I'm on an iPad due to some technical issues, but that has modules and, and um, resources that can be, that are free and can be of um, use to all of you on the call sort of immediately. There's no fee associated with them. So hopefully you go and check those out. But really the work that IBM has done is known for doing and is looking forward to doing over the next decade are the things that made me really wanna join the team here. That's awesome. Um, how long have you been there? Six months? Since August. <laughs> August, wow. Um, I, I dropped a link in for P-TECH. Um, P-TECH is a terrific model. We really appreciate IBM's support for that. Um, Lydia, I also dropped in a link um, on IBM digital credentials. IBM has, has really, of all the tech players, the longest, maybe the most important um, contribution to the field of digital credentials, meaningful uh, pathways of, of digital credentials. Can you say anything about that? Absolutely. We have a very rigorous internal process for what um, we allow to have a credential. So whether that's a, a badge and then, you know, clusters of badges leading up to certifications, if it isn't resume worthy, we don't uh, issue it. So I think that's something really important for people to know. Uh, and when you're looking at what kinds of training and uh, access to, to content you want for your students, I think that's really what helps hold the IBM certification branding at high quality in the marketplace. So when you think about students, right, we used, we have traditionally thought about a straight path from high school to college to a degree to work, but we know that that's not really the way things work anymore and that we need an ecosystem, right? Where students have choices, they have access to employment, they have certifications and degrees that they earn along the way, they're lifelong learners, they go in and out of school and in and out of work and we need those equivalencies and the portability of those credentials. Uh, so I'm, one thing that I'm very proud of is the work that we do acknowledges that and leans in and uh, I just came out of a three day meeting across the teams at IBM responsible for learning to make sure we collaborate, we have you know tight systems for quality that we're also thinking about where our gaps are and what we need to offer in the marketplace for, you know, for free. And it's important for you all to know the certifications that we offer publicly are the same ones that we as IBMers earn internally. So there, there isn't a difference there. And I think that's something else that um, people should know, right? This idea that I, I know you all are working on or, or you know, part, part of this movement of electronic records that you have a digital, what we used to call backpack or wallet or, you know, however you choose to think about it, and that you earn these credentials and you take them with you wherever you go and that they have equivalencies uh, tied to them, whether those are college credits or uh, credit for, for experiences earned, but that you it doesn't require a degree. So we now have translated a lot of our job roles at IBM to being skills-based and 50% of the openings that we post in the US don't require a degree. 
Lydia, um, well, first of all, thanks for bringing your awesomeness to IBM. Um, we really look forward to your leadership there. Um, we hope through our Pathways campaign uh, to highlight the work that you're doing and um, that a number of other tech leaders um, have in the last few years introduced new learning pathways and many of them credentialed. Um, we don't think high schools and colleges have really begun to appreciate the resource that they uh, present. We're gonna try to provide some guidance on how to incorporate those into high school and post-secondary pathways. So more from Lydia over the next uh, two years in this campaign. Thanks Absolutely. for being here. <laughs> My pleasure. I know there are some additional questions in the chat, but I wanted to make sure that we um, talked just a little bit about this before our time was up today. Um, we really want to make sure that pathways are accessible for all and really truly understanding this broad definition of equity. It's not just about race and gender, but it's also about abilities. Um, so, Tom, we were able to surface a few questions that I would like for you to just to give a little bit of voice to about articulating the learning goals and replacing like the terminology that all learners are college ready, etc. Yeah, we surfaced a couple of questions. We'd love to have more from you. Um... You heard Dave Schuler say, we don't talk about college ready and career ready anymore. We don't talk about that college pathway and CTE pathway. We've pushed them together and, and we just help kids go where they need to go. Um, I love that idea and I'm vexed by the challenge of doing that um, equitably. Um, how, how do we do that without retracking schools where some students are on a college going pathway and, and some aren't. How do we help parents understand that there are some new pathways, alternative higher ed or earn and learn ladders um, that are much more lucrative than traditional higher education? Um, so I think how we express learning goals is interesting and challenging. Um, how we express our, our goals um, for all learners is an interesting new challenge. I don't know, Greg from CAPS, I, I'd love a thought on from you on, on how you and the folks in the CAPS network are, are thinking about these equity questions. Uh, Tom, thank you for the opportunity. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me, uh, hard act to follow these other presenters. What a great set of topics. I, compliment you guys for always organizing such great discussions in the industry. Now, we have worked uh, very hard. Uh, number one, I think, is you got to set as, as a clear goal, right? I mean, I think we can sometimes easily say, that, like, we're going to include everybody. But I think you got to make it a goal. And I think you have to take specific steps to make that happen. Uh, one of our, and I, I put this in the, in the chat room, too, our most recent uh, playbook that we created, um, try to capture that essence of that is like, how do we get these, uh, this awareness made uh, for students to show that there are a lot of opportunities and career paths out there and that they're cool. You know, I think you and I've had the conversation that in the past we've overemphasized the, the four-year degree as being the option and not to take away from it, great option. And we would certainly not exclude and, and promote that for anybody. But at the same time, there are just so many growing opportunities out there for students and we want to make them aware of it. So I like the comment you've made. We are trying to make a more concerted effort with parents 
to get that knowledge out there. We were also trying to see in the earlier ages, because our, our focus has been in high school, the earlier ages is getting exposure to these different types of careers and different types of skills. So one of our most recent ones, and, and it's going to be a topic of our summer huddle is, you know, how do we, how quickly can we start exposing kids to different types of pathways in careers? And then the skill sets that are involved so they can kind of pick and choose and gravitate to what they, they want to do and what they'd be good at. Greg, here's another equity question um, that you guys really wrestle with at CAPS. 99% of career awareness in America is about how to get a job, not how to make a job. Um, we, we still suck at, at teaching and developing entrepreneurship. I think the CAPS network is, is closer to getting this, this right, but helping young people think about career opportunities, um, that there are jobs that you can get and there's jobs that you can create and that most young people today are gonna spend some time in both of those roles of where they take a job or make a job. Um, but promoting entrepreneurship equitably, I think is another new challenge. You, do you buy that? Absolutely, no, in fact, it's uh, entrepreneurial thinking is one of our key uh, five core values. And no matter what discipline, or we call them strands uh, for pathways, um, no matter which one you have, even if it's something that's, you know, like accounting, right, which there's one right way to do it. We also want kids to be thinking entrepreneurially. How do you make it better? Don't just accept what it is, but how do you make that better? And indeed, we want uh, kids of, of all backgrounds to know that they can start businesses. So a lot of our growing strands, a lot of our growing number of uh, of disciplines and pathways now within the CAPS network are focused on that entrepreneurship, not just on starting a business, but also developing products and services that can be turned into a business. Couldn't agree with you more, buddy. Super appreciate that. I'm on uh, Greg's board, uh, the national network. I just dropped the link in um, your CAPS network. It's a great place to start. 140 districts across the country have joined CAPS. This can be a terrific entry point for updating your district's approach to, to CTE and thinking more um, constructively and dynamically about pathways. One more closing thought, Shawnee. Yeah, um, right before we get to the what's, what's next, I will just kind of surface the question that I know that our team and and others are thinking about because you brought up that notion about entrepreneurship and pathways and difference making and how how do you go about making sure that those are included so that students continue to have a sense of agency? Yes, we will try to deal with that. We'll also try to, um, to look at learning differences inside of pathways, uh, particularly learning differences with access um, into and through uh, post-secondary. Um, Shawnee, tell us what's next. Yeah, absolutely. First, I just want to thank everyone for joining us today. And a very, very special thanks to some of our guests, Shatira and Dave and um, Lydia. Thank you so much for joining us today. And 
and all our attendees. So like we stated, we will post this town hall as a podcast in our feed, and then we'll post a recap blog with the links mentioned on the event. There were tons and tons of information shared today and lots of good questions and thoughts. And some of our guests dropped their emails. So if we weren't able to really get to everything today, please continue to reach out to them. Please continue to reach out to us because this is a conversation that we'll be having for a very long time. So even though this might be kind of the first iteration of it, we invite you to join us throughout this journey of realizing what new pathways are and how they will truly be a benefit to our students. Um, so again, thank you. We appreciate you showing up and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at GettingSmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.